All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm here today with Casey Barca. Casey is an R&D tax credit expert with 20 years of industry knowledge and nine years of proven experience calculating R&D tax credits for major accounting and financial service firms. Prior to co-founding Strike, Casey spent eight years in the petrochemical industry in Houston, Texas. His distinguished knowledge in dynamic properties of polyethylene, polypropylene, and styrene butadine copolymer resins drove significant department improvements. So I'm glad I got all those out. And Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lisa. Glad to be here. So share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to doing what you're doing. Yeah, of course. Casey Barka, I'm... I hail from the great state of Wisconsin originally. I started off my my bachelor's actually is biochemistry and molecular biology. I had hopes and aspirations of going into the medical field. And as life hands you lemons, I went to the army and traveled the world for a few years. So happy to have served my country there. And after that, I found my way to Houston, Texas, an oil and gas hub. It seemed like a very natural landing place for me. Yeah. So I spent about eight, 10 years with various large Chevron, Total, various big names in, in the industry, primarily focused on plastics, polymers, as you mentioned. And as I was working my way up through the corporate ladder, got my MBA, and I just happened upon a, a job posting for research and development tax credit consulting and perked my interest. And as the story goes, here we are 10 years later, I'm a co-founder of Strike Tax Advisory which is headquartered in Boise, Idaho. I, I am leading part of a team here in Houston. And yeah, really excited to talk to your to your group here about how R&D tax credits can benefit the manufacturing industry. Let's start at the very beginning. And what is an R&D tax credit? And how does it relate to manufacturing? Why do we care? Okay, good question. So for those of you that may not be familiar, the Research and Development Tax Credit, that's its kind of common name. Officially, it's called the Credit for Increasing Research Activities. This is Section 41 of the of the tax code. It's been around since the early 80s. It's a Ronald Reagan era credit. It was meant to incentivize U.S.-based companies to keep those high-tech, high-paying jobs here in the U.S. as opposed to being offshore. To, so that was the primary driver. So it's technically a glorified jobs credit if you really want to get down to it. Over the last 40 plus years or so, there's been lots of changes to the tax code itself. There's been a lot of judicial precedent that has been established that goes into what is R&D and what is not R&D. So that's primarily our job is to help our clients determine what expenses they are incurring on what we consider to be an R&D project. So that can be anything from a product, it can be a process, it can be a formulation, invention, technique, right? It can be, it's very wide berth. So it, not only to the manufacturing industry, but it also applies to 
so many food and beverage, architecture, engineering, medical, pharmaceutical software, right? There's a lot of different industries that we do work with. Manufacturing is probably our number two, maybe number three industry that we work with here at Stripe. And as you're getting into manufacturing itself, there's so many sub-industries that we work with, right? Everything from agriculture to apparel and textiles, oil and gas obviously is there, robotics, tool and die manufacturers, semiconductors. The list goes on and on that we work with for these R&D tax credits. So you mentioned, I thought that it was fascinating, of what R&D is and what it isn't. It just sounds like it's research and development. So what would be something that you that your clients might think is R&D, but actually isn't? Yes. So the, a lot of people have a misconception that this is the white lab coats, beakers and goggles, right? Mixing and doing things of that nature, but it's so much more than that, right? The way that the credit is actually, we call it an R&D study, right? So we're doing a study for each of our clients. And as we're as we're diving in, we it's a project-based analysis. So we look at each of your individual projects or R&D initiatives, right? And that, again, can be very broad in its scope. But what we always fall back to what's called the four-part test. This is the, the, the basis for a lot of our analysis, right? So you have to start with what's called the permitted purpose. Now, this is basically the what are you doing, right? This is, could be... As I mentioned, the product, process improvement, formulation, technique, patent, right? You're trying to impart some new or improved functionality, performance, quality, reliability, some sort of tangible metric, right? And you're not quite sure how that's going to go, right? So to over... And as part of that, sorry, as I stumbled there a little bit, as part of that project scope, right? You At the beginning, you have to have some sort of technical uncertainty or like a challenge, right? That can be in, in a couple of different forms. It can be, you maybe didn't know if you could do it, right? It could be capability, or it may not, you might not know what the optimal design of that is going to be or how you're going to go about doing this, right? The methodology that goes into that. So to overcome those, and that's the second prong, by the way, the uncertainty. Okay. Now to go to overcome that uncertainty, you go through what's called a process of experimentation. Now, this, again, is very unique to each individual client that we have. Not everybody does things the same way, but it's the it's looking at, it could be regimented trial and error. It can be some formalized product development life cycle that, that you may have, a stage gate process, some sort of mechanism that, that our clients have in place where they evaluate alternative solutions, right? They have a hypothesis. They come up with ways to test that hypothesis to see what is the best design. They go through some sort of modeling or simulation. They go through prototyping stages to where they test and make sure that they achieved those requirements and specifications they sought out to, to develop or design, right? That's the third prong, like the how you do it. What was that process and what did it look like? And the fourth part of this is we're only looking at the activities that are technological in nature. So these are like based on the hard sciences. So all your marketing and sales and HR back office things, we're not really concerned about that. We're looking at those people that are actively using biology, chemistry, physics, engineering principles, things of that nature, and applying those concepts in and throughout that four-part test. So 
at the end of the day, for each of those projects, we do that analysis, which projects are qualified and which ones are disqualified are removed from the analysis. And then once we have qualified projects, then we start getting into what are the qualified expenses associated with each of those projects. And this may be a similar question, but are there any other common misconceptions that people have about R&D tax credits in the manufacturing industry? You would be surprised. We hear it's it's a good thing, right? To be skeptical of whether or not you qualify for this because not everybody is qualified or doing qualified activities. So you want to make sure that here at Strike, we make sure that we do everything by the book. It's very ethical. We're not overinflating your credits because part of our part of what we do is that we stand behind our work as well. So we have a money back guarantee on anything that we do help our clients claim. Some of those misconceptions, we just don't qualify. Our, our many, we're just doing general production. So the, the question to that is, are you not improving your products? Are you not going through and adding in new features, new enhancements? Or on the process side, are you adding in automations? Are you increasing your throughput and your efficiencies? You're honing in on your quality metrics, right? Those are all process improvement initiatives that we see a lot in, in, in the manufacturing sector that people oftentimes don't think about, but that is actually a qualified R&D activity, right? That process improvement and things of that nature. Or some people don't, we don't have engineers on staff. We just, we do a lot of on-the-job training. We hire from tech schools. That doesn't matter. It's, again, it's based on the activities that you're doing. And if you're doing this, if you're using the scientific principles in this, in, in the improvements that you're doing within your facility, oftentimes that's quali- that, that would be qualified. And oftentimes clients don't understand the full breadth of expenses that we're able to claim as well. So if for each project, we're able to look at not only your employee wages, your taxable W-2 box one, that's what we're looking for, but raw materials and supplies that are used during the R&D process. So if you're doing prototyping, if you're doing first articles, if you're doing certifications and things of that nature prior to production, all of the supplies that went into that first article, or maybe you had to go through Hmm. four different versions of that prototype before you stamped it off for production. Each of those four, you're still resolving that technical uncertainty, whether it was design or the methods that you're using. The raw materials can definitely add up very quickly. If you outsource to a third-party contractor, maybe you don't have those capabilities in-house, like oftentimes there's testing facilities that people will send samples to or what have you. Those or contract employees, the 1099 people that you pay inside your facility. Those contractor costs, as long as they're doing the qualified activities that I mentioned hmm. before, we can count those expenses. And then the fourth one, probably not going to apply mostly to our manufacturing clients, but you can include computer rental, right? So for our software clients that are doing their development in the cloud, they're paying for hmm. Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure as for their development. We can include those as, as well. Okay. Do you have some examples, maybe some people that you've worked with as far as other manufacturers that have benefited from R&D tax credits? We have had to thin down the list. We've worked with, I think, over 400 R&D clients now. So I did pick out a couple examples I did want to share. We have a custom racing engine manufacturer here in Houston that is one of our clients. Uh, They have about 20 employees or so, about half of them were actually involved in the design, the building of these custom racing engines. Um, And over the course of 
from 27 to 2021, we got them close to $660,000 of tax credits that are cash in your hand. These are refunds from the IRS, or this is a reduction of your tax liability in the current year. Another robotics client that we had, we've done a couple of these, very similar, about 10 to 15 employees, about $600,000 of credits. One client I have in Indiana, another robotics. So they build the custom like gantries and things of that nature that are used in the manufacturing. So they're, do- they're developing the robotics that are going into the end users facilities and about 40 employees in that company, about 25 of them, very technical, very engineering focused. We got them $3.7 million over the course of five years that we've worked with them. So these credits can be very lucrative and really help move that needle to getting companies to pay literally zero tax if they're doing the right types of activities and they have the expenses to show for it. So what were they doing before? Do a lot of manufacturers just not know that these tax credits exist or are they just doing it poorly? Or what was happening before they were all of a sudden saving all this 600000 or $3 million? You actually hit it right on the head. There's so many... So many people out there that don't know that this is on the books, right? It's that it's an incentive that is available to them. I've studied for some IRS certifications and things of that nature. And of the 1,200 pages of study materials for the full tax code, section 41 was two paragraphs out of that. So it's a very niche credit. Not a lot of people know about it. Even the CPAs that we partner with that we're helping their clients, we're oftentimes educating them the first time of the band. And I remember hearing about this, but I just, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. And that's oftentimes what we hear. And that's why Strike exists is that CPAs, they're very busy. They're handling most of just the general tax return and they don't have the bandwidth to do these specialty calculations and that are actually pretty, pretty complex and requires an outside expert to be able to do it accurately and being able to, to sustain the credits that we do calculate. Boy, all I'm thinking about is I would not want to read a 1,200-page document on tax code, but good for you for finding that one paragraph that makes all the difference because that would just not be my strength. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Tax code reading all of that is it's not the most enjoyable, but. Um, after you have it in your brain for as many years as I have, it's kind of like the back of your hand. And that then it just applies to being able to disseminate that information to our clients and educate them on what they should have been claiming all along. We've just recently signed a client that's been around since 88, I believe, 89. I think they were founded a manufacturing client. And literally, they could have been claiming this since they opened their doors, right? Every year they're working on new product launches, new things that they want to add to their catalog or their portfolio of products that they're selling to the public. And we're going to be able to go back to the prior three years, right? So we're able to go back and amend your your three prior year tax returns. So as long as it's still open for amendment, you can go back and you can calculate these credits and you can claim them on an amended return and just get a refund check back from the IRS. Okay. So yeah, that answered my question. So for the last 30 years of that, they were screwed, but for the last three years, they could go back and get some of that. Correct. So that's awesome. That is right. And you mentioned how much the tax code changes every year. What has, can you provide us an overview of what changed for 2022 
and some of the challenges that manufacturers face if things like, I think it's section 174, if some of these changes aren't overturned? Yeah. So this one, this has been a real eye-opener for a lot of our clients. And it's not necessarily in a good way. Unfortunately, in 2017, there was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed. So this was, if you recall, this was a way lowered the corporate tax rate down back down to 21%. It had some other incentives and things of that nature in there. But they had to figure out a way to pay for those tax cuts. So what they what the way it was written is they had a five-year kind of period before these changes really took an effect. So for 2022, so let me back up. It might be easier. So what is the interplay between section 174 that you mentioned and section 41? So if you want to think about a like a bullseye with some concentric circles in it. So if you have all of your expenses that your business incurs in a given year, that can be everything from your meals and entertainment to your depreciation expense to all those different things that fall underneath expenses, right? In your general ledger. Section 174 is a it has to do with research and experimentation. Section 41 is a subset of that. Now, Section 41 is what's used to calculate your R&D tax credit, that credit for research, increasing research activities. What changed is that prior to 2022, nobody really cared about 174. It was always there in order to, in order to have an R&D credit, the expense has to be subject to 174. So that was the initial qualification. After that, CPAs didn't really, didn't care. They just put it all underneath general business expenses. So for 2022, Basically, they took away the ability for a taxpayer to deduct 100% of those expenses in the year. So what has to happen now is that any research and experimentation expenses must be now capitalized and amortized over five years. And there is a midpoint convention to that. So without getting into the weeds, essentially what this means is Say you had a million dollars of research expense, just to throw out a nice round number. For 2022, instead of being able to deduct or write off that million dollars, you're only actually able to to deduct 10% of that or $100,000. The other $900,000 actually gets added back to taxable income. So what that means is that anybody that's doing R&D or R&E, if you will, 2022 has turned into be a, an eye-opener, painful, higher tax bills for a lot of our clients. And it is the tax code. It's, it's the way it's written. There is a very large push from various lobbying groups in that we've partnered with from a education standpoint. So like the National Association of Manufacturers, NAM.org. I'm Pretty sure a lot of you are familiar with that. So they have actually taken a spearhead to this and they are really actively trying to get people to reach out to their legislation, right? Their representatives, their senators. There's two pieces of, there's two bills that are in Congress now, one in the Senate, one in the House, that are looking to change this law particularly because it's really, it's detrimental to the people that are doing the innovation and driving growth in the U.S., This is really a kick in the teeth, if you will. There's companies that I specifically have worked on where the owner literally had to take out a $1.5 million personal loan this year to cover his tax bill just because of this rule change. 
And, wow. and again, it's across the board. So if you want to extrapolate that to the Teslas and the Lockheed Martins, obviously doing R&D, but they're spending billions of dollars. And think about only 10% of that being able to be written off in a year. So the big companies are feeling the hit as well. They've actually had to reissue some 10Ks, right, for the publicly traded companies because the outlook of their profitability went through the floor. Wow. Wow. And you'd think that with something like this, that it would really stimulate, like you said, not only keeping manufacturing here in the United States, but a way to stimulate innovation and growth within manufacturers as they're constantly looking for ways to improve their products. What are you seeing, again, as far as some of the ways that they've used those credits to stimulate innovation and growth up until this point? I really, it's if you want to think about it as a blank check, right? It's money that you are owed, you're refunded. So it's really cash in hand. So if you are a manufacturer and you qualify, you're doing these types of research projects, your new product releases, process improvements, maybe you're getting, maybe you're doing stuff and you're actually getting patents, right? Patents are a great way to substantiate that you are actually doing R&D, right? But you can use this to hire more people, right? Say, I, I threw out a million dollars earlier. In the back of the napkin calculation, at the federal level, think about 10% returns. So for every million dollars that you actually spend, you're probably going to get $100,000, give or take, of actual R&D credits. So that's a dollar for dollar reduction of your tax liability. It's not a deduction. It's a tax credit that basically bottom line, what is your overall tax liability? The credits are there to reduce that down to zero. Yes, you can hire more people. You can buy equipment. You can plan for that expansion that you wanted to do to your facility and add new capabilities and things of that nature. And in addition, you can use it as a tax planning tool because oftentimes manufacturers that we deal with, they like to run pretty close to even, right? They don't want to they don't want to pay a lot of tax. They don't want to be at losses either. So they try and get as close to netting out at zero as they can. But now if you know that you have this pool of tax credits, you can work with your CPAs to maybe change the way that you're doing your bonus depreciation, maybe the way that you're doing, the way that you're writing off some of your assets. You can use them as a way to raise your taxable income, but because you have the credits there to offset then you can take those deductions and push those down the road for use in the future. So there's a lot of different ways that you can take advantage of these R&D tax credits. And so what advice would you give to a manufacturer who has never considered R&D tax credits before? If you haven't if you've never considered it and you as you've been listening to us talk through this, if you're starting to think, hey, I think I might actually meet some of this qualification criteria, you should reach out to your CPA. You should have a conversation with them and see if it makes sense. If, if it, Because you have to be able to use the credits too, right? You do have to be paying tax. Let me hold on that thought because I do want to come back to that. There is another way. There's, there is a different way to, to use the credits as well that I'll talk about for startups. Now I lost my train of thought. They're talking to their CPA about- Okay, sorry, uh... sorry. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you've never considered this in the past, have a conversation with your CPA and then find a trusted advisor. Uh, most 
more times than not, your CPA is probably going to say, yeah, sounds like it'd be a great opportunity. I have no idea how to do this. I will greatly throw out my my contact information. We'd be happy to work with, with you to at least do an initial evaluation. Let's just have a quick conversation, oftentimes more, no more than like 20, 30 minutes. We can get a high level understanding of what you're doing, whether or not it would likely qualify and do that back of the napkin calculation of what do we think that you might actually be getting out of this? And is it worth, because if you only have $10,000 of credits, it may not be worthwhile for somebody to go back and amend their tax returns for that. So there's an ROI that goes into this as well. That, you, that is part of our conversations that we have. Definitely find that trusted advisor, look at their track record, make sure they're doing things by the book. They're not overly aggressive with their sales tactics and they're promising you the world because I'm not going to lie to you. There are people in our industry that try and take advantage of people that are doing these types of analyses, maybe not necessarily by the book. Right. So when you do walk, have that initial conversation with a, a prospect or you're working with your client, can you walk us through the process of what you do to identify and claim the R&D tax credits? Certainly. We do our best to minimize the day-to-day impact. So obviously the first part of that is going to be an onboarding meeting, right? And there is an initial documentation request, right? So we're looking to gather your payroll, right? Your W-2s. We're looking to get your general ledgers, looking to get your tax returns and some other financial information. And we take all that, consolidate it, break it all down, build it into our work papers. And then we will look to schedule a technical kickoff meeting. This is where we can start to ask some of those more pointed questions, start diving into what types of projects you're doing, what things have you done in the past? And oftentimes we find out then, oh, you have time tracking? Oh, you do job costing? It depends on every company has different ways that they that they do their accounting systems and we can work with all of them. We do the calculations. We determine a reasonable percentage of time that each of your employees are spending doing R&D. So the quantification really is, Sally is spending 40% of her time doing R&D activities. So we take 40% of her box one taxable wage and do that for all successive employees and you get get a number. We do that for contractors. We do that for raw materials and supplies and run all of that through our calculation models. We put together the forms that you're going to need, any associated schedules that your CPA is going to need as well, both for federal and for state. We deliver that. Your CPA is able to then file your amended returns and then claim the credits on your current year. So we're still working on 2022 returns for most of our clients that did extend. And then we also put together a final report for the culmination of everything that we did, right? It's the narrative of how we did the analysis, who we talked to, when we had all these conversations, why they meet the criteria, why these expenses were excluded. And we go through that full analysis. And oftentimes that come out to be 50 to 100. I think the biggest final report I've put together was like close to 600 pages. Because wow. uh, if, you know, if the IRS, they do randomly select for audits and we do provide full audit support as part of what we offer here at Strike. And because the last thing you want to do is be holding a bag when the IRS calls and nobody's there to help support you through that process. So we'll be here to address any questions, provide any additional documentation that an auditor would request perhaps. But yeah, usually very, we've actually only encountered one state audit. We have not seen an IRS audit yet at the federal level, but we are, we lost $2,000. I'm sorry to say that 
the one mm-hmm. client, the New Mexico State took back $2,000. Of the $130 million in credits that we've delivered over the past four years, $2,000 is not too bad of a, no. of a, of a, of a <laughs> suspension rate. That sounds like the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to the tax code and some of the good as far as what you can do. So if somebody did want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Probably the easiest way, www.striketax.com. That's our website. We have a general, we have chat features on there. Our phone numbers are listed there. Somebody's always monitoring that. And we can have that initial conversation. I can also, if you'd like, I can provide my direct email address or my direct phone number if that's something sure. you want to provide to your, to your audience. And happy to dive in and see what kind of benefits we can get for you. Okay. All right, Casey, it has been an absolute pleasure. I know I learned a lot today. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. My pleasure. And if you want me to come back and do a second tier, I'm happy to do. All righty. That sounds great. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.